0: Hello and welcome to the Seascapes Collab podcast series. My name is Susie O'Hara and I'm a curator, educator and practice-based researcher exploring emerging models of cross-sector collaboration between art, innovation and society. I'm currently working in partnership with the Seascapes Town to Tees, Shores and Seas Marine Heritage Project, Seascapes for short, which is generously funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and University of Sunderland. For the past three years, I've been curator and lead researcher for Seascapes CoLab, a multi-year creative engagement project that aims to scaffold creative experimentation between artists, researchers, marine heritage specialists and coastal communities living along the northeast coastline. The resulting creative experiences, participatory artworks and interactive exhibitions explore how we can better connect with our world and co-develop sustainable ways to care for our marine environment through art and creativity. Today we're going to deep dive into Whitburn Resonance, a community project that focuses on the sounds of the medieval fishing village of Whitburn on the northeast Coast. The project aims to understand how the local seascapes have changed over time by combining archaeological data and sonic research. Through participatory research and acoustic mapping, the goal is to foster a stronger sense of stewardship and appreciation for the seascape among coastal communities. Join us to hear Professor Caroline Mitchell and artist Shelley Knott's talk more about the project with participants Ian Bauer and Elsie Ronald.
1: people love to hear the sounds of, unusual sound relating to places, but also normal sounds, so they're very evocative. One of the stories we've had and we've put on the database is someone talking about moving away from Whitburn and she hadn't realised how difficult she found it sleeping when she was away because she didn't have the sound of the sea in her ears and that had been a constant for her. And when it went, she actually moved back in the end. <laughs> so uh, it, so we're, we're really interested in, in the wider kind of issues around people Understanding the communities they live in, the history, the people, the stories, and particularly at the moment how they relate to the coast and how a village like this relates to the coast and all the issues around preserving the coastline. My name's Caroline Mitchell. I'm Professor of Radio and Participation at the University of Sunderland, and I've been involved in this project from the start, giving advice around research and participatory community development methods of how to get people involved. And I know from past experience of working in different parts of Sunderland that people are really interested in hearing stories about local history and heritage.
2: I'm Shelley Knotts and I am the lead artist on the Whitburn Resonance Project, so I've sort of been developing the more sort of creative side of the project.
1: What we did right from the start, um, working with Shelley and Robin, the archaeologist, was that we We sort of mapped Whitburn ourselves. We walked around it quite a lot because none of us were particularly from here. And we started making contacts with people who lived here, who worked here, who ran community organisations here. And we very quickly found that there were some key places where people met, older people met, local history societies met, church venues, graveyards. And so we, we started working out what was important to different types of people in Whitburn and then we found that the Barnes Institute which is right in the centre of Whitburn was a great place to meet people knew it and uh, we ran a lot of our workshops there.
2: We started with talking about our sound memories in Whitburn and trying to make various creative interventions around that so we made like sound maps from memory and talked about sound walking and different sort of ways of experiencing the village and also how it's changed over time as well. So we were sort of fortunate to be working with older people who had quite a lot of memories that they could share and sort of uh, able to talk about the past a bit. And then from that, we developed the SoundDig website, which was kind of like a container for everything that came up and all the sort of stories and like really interesting, like super diverse like perspectives on the village. So, yeah, the idea was sort of to make a place that could contain like a lot of different things, really.
3: Growing up, I spent a lot of time on the beach. Just a short walk away from our front door, it felt like our front garden. Obviously, the splashing of the waves was a familiar sound and the seagulls. But something else that really sticks in my mind and takes me back was the sound of the donkeys. It wasn't actually the sound the donkeys made themselves. It was the tin bells they wore around their necks. A slow clanging sound, faint in the distance at first. They'd be walking from Whitburn, and as they got closer, they would be a crescendo. It would always be when the tide was out because they'd be walking on the wet sand. The sound would get louder as they approached, and then after they passed by, the sound would dim and become faint again as they made their way to Seaburn. There'd be about seven or eight, maybe ten donkeys in total, being led by a few people, and they'd be offering children a ride on the donkeys.
2: that sort of fed into a sharing event where we talked about the project and what we had done. And we had quite a lot of people come along to that and were really interested in sort of talking about the history of Whitburn. And sort of alongside those things, there were various points where different people from the village were interviewed. So we talked to the local history group. We went to the Sunderland History Fair and I met a few people there who were from Whitburn and talked to them about their memories. And then we also sort of crossed over with Tees Archaeology's work in Whitburn. So they did a graveyard survey um, and they also did an archaeological dig. So those were uh, two points where it was possible to kind of dig a little bit deeper into um, the sort of very far past of Whitburn. So we talked to a few people about sort of like how far back in history their family goes through the graveyard survey. And the archaeology sort of was more about like what are you sort of digging up from the ground and discovering through this sort of like process of like scraping back layers of soil. My name's Janet Beveridge.
1: I'm an archaeologist. I've lived in Whitburn since I was about 13 uh, my, my mother's family came from Whitburn and I can trace my family back to the 1500s in the village as as well as in the 1500s in other areas of the country. It, what I've found is people aren't static, people move around. Some people stay in one place but generally you get lots of people moving around and I've always been interested in the people and who they were and what they did in life
2: and then uh, we were lucky to have the opportunity to make some work for an exhibition at the the Word in South Shields alongside a couple of other projects so uh, yeah that project we were interested in getting some more younger perspectives into the sound dig as we'd like it to be you know, representative of like a spectrum of different groups of people. So uh, we decided to work with Creative Youth Opportunities who do detached youth work to go out and find some young people who were interested in sort of like discovering more about the sound of Whitburn. So that project is sort of ongoing right now. And we are talking to them about what they like about Whitburn, what they don't like about Whitburn, how they might like Whitburn to look in the future. And we're going to be making some sort of sound collages made up of both stuff that's in the Dig site already, um, some new recordings that they're going to do, and then some more imagined sounds. So working with some programs for like producing new sounds with. So, yeah, that's going to be sort of a mix of uh, sort of some really creative sound work and uh, sort of also trying to reflect a little bit of the past in that as well.
1: Our initial workshops seemed to attract, not surprisingly, retired people, older people, who had a, such a huge wealth of understanding and interest in history. Um, but obviously, we're really keen to engage the younger people in Whitburn, who we think will love how they can participate in, in the database of sounds and how they can mix and play with sound. And we think there's something for everyone in the Dig database. I think when we were talking to people who were children in the 40s and 50s they talked about how the beach was their playground it was the only place they went because there wasn't very much money for travel or holidays so being on the beach um, exploring the coastline was very much part of that and I think the loss of things has been very important as well so there's a lot of living memory around the loss of industry mines and actual erosion of pathways, Um, bird populations leaving the rookery, for instance, and obviously people as they get older think about loss of people and traditions. So there's been, I think, a rising awareness of how sound can emphasize, how sound and stories, oral storytelling, can emphasize some of those issues and help people to talk about them.
4: My name's uh, Ian Bauer. I live in Whitburn and I uh, got involved with the project when it started a couple of years ago. I uh, just saw something on a, on a local website which sounded interesting about this idea of looking into the sounds of Whitburn. So I came along to the first meeting and um, got an idea of what was involved. And uh, over the course of, I don't know, six months or so, uh, we did the work that ended up with the SoundDig website. The things that I was mainly interested in, I suppose, were the, the natural history type sounds of Whitburn. So I um, recorded some material about things like the hedgehogs that came into the garden and the various bird songs that I heard in Whitburn. And uh, sadly, one of the things that has disappeared from Ridburn, which is a rookery. There was a well-established rookery in Ridburn when I came here 20 years or so ago. But unfortunately, that's now completely gone. So the characteristic sounds of the of the rooks is something that was around but isn't around anymore. I used to remember standing in the kitchen, looking out towards the north, and seeing the rooks flying across. You know communicating with each other by cawing, and that's just completely disappeared. I did one of the sessions at the, the churchyard, which was an idea of going in and recording the information that's on the various gravestones, and taking a photograph, trying as best you could to work out what the wording was on the gravestones and recording that, and handing it across to um, Robin and his team of archaeologists.
1: It's been really interesting because people have so many different relationships with the coastline. Some people are interested in deep history and and they've imagined, for instance, the venerable bead standing on a beach um, thinking about tides. And so some people have gone really deep back into history to think about that kind of thing. Well,
5: when I go to the coast, my first thought was I'm standing on ground that was the monastery and later on it was the shipyard. And when I look at the sea I think about the Venerable Reed is a hero of mine and he looked at the sea. The monastery was then practically on the coast because Roker is built up of reclaimed land and he looked at the waves and he worked out the relation of the moon and the tides and he also worked out the world was around. And I think of him standing or sitting at the coast, he would hear the waves moving the pebbles about, he would hear the seabirds. Did he feel as it was noisy compared to what he left in the monastery which was just behind him?
1: Others talk particularly around walks during lockdown, for instance, how important the coastal path was.
5: Just about every afternoon, we used to go for our walks along into the, the coastal park up there or down along the cliffs, down to the park. I think we saw more of Whitburn than when we were kids during lockdown.
2: I think for me, it's just about, I guess, giving like recognition and voice to kind of like the wealth of local knowledge that's in a place. I think through the stories, people are able to tell like their perspective and sort of like break down the barriers of like what it means to have knowledge. So I think quite often we can get caught up in like, you know, I don't have this expertise or that expertise, so my opinion doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, I think through this project, we really tried to like facilitate people to tell their own stories and sort of recognize the value in their own stories and how the more experiential knowledge is as important too. So I guess it's, it's about letting people take ownership over what, what they feel about their area
1: The importance, I think, for me, is the different perspectives that each of those groups bring. I mean, for me, the most important community are local residents and people who live in in a place. And actually, I think, what's been, I hope, stimulating for those people is the perspectives that the different people who, who are working with the communities bring. And I, I mean, I know that the archaeology workshops and the storytelling workshops—you know—that that brought different perspectives for people. And I think this is a unique thing that, that the—it's a unique thing that the Seascape's project does—is that it's so interdisciplinary. And I think probably it's been quite challenging sometimes as well. You know that that. People come at things in different ways. So historians, archaeologists come at things in different ways to someone like me with community media background and sound background. But the combination, I think, has been really stimulating and interesting. And I think that although it, it took us a while to build up the relationships in the team delivering this project, I think everyone has learned from each other a huge amount.
4: Personally, I met people from Whitburn who I hadn't actually engaged with before and also people like Elsie uh, who is part of the group and also people from the university who I wasn't aware of before so it was quite an interesting experience for me to uh, get involved in a project like that and see it through from from beginning to end and um, and have a kind of end product like the, uh, the Sound Dig website and there was a very successful um, event which took place last April where quite a big group of people came together and found out about the project so it was nice to see that kind of thing happen and uh, already stemming from that that first day that we had when we sort of kicked the project off so it's it's nice to sort of see something being produced by it and having an ongoing sort of uh, story really.
2: I think for me it's just been about getting a real sort of mixture of different perspectives into the project so I mean I have a Uh, limited set of skills and Caroline has her skills Um, and obviously Robin sort of brought the archaeology stuff but I think this project would never have happened if it hadn't have been those particular set of skills interacting because it kind of really came out of like us doing very very different things and sort of going through this process of like trying to work out what the intersection is of those things. And so that was quite a long process sort of in the first idea development lab of like working out like how do we fit together this sort of like community research archaeology and sort of uh, sound technology (laughs) Um, so we kind of landed on sound mapping as sort of like a way to start to think to work together and yeah I think like the final project kind of only realized itself through the workshops with the community as well because we kind of went into it with an idea but I guess we found like you know, people who were really interested in history, people who were really interested in birds and people who were interested in the environment. So it was really about those community members sort of giving voice to this idea of sound sound mapping.
1: Whitburn Resonance has had quite a few phases with a lot of disruptions to do with weather and COVID and all that kind of thing. However, um, what is going to remain is the Sound Dig website and what will be there for people to use in community places like the library but also at home is the website and also lots of fun things to do with it so remixing your own playlist of sounds looking at other people's playlists listening to sounds and continuing to contribute stories and sounds. And we've, we've worked quite hard to link up with, um, for instance, local history groups, and we, we've been along to recording sessions there. And honestly, we could continue doing that full-time, I would say, for the next few years. There are still so many stories and sounds to be recorded. And um, the key is, is how to actually enable those to be responsibly uploaded and chosen and editing so so i think there's still that there's still potential but for me we need to get a sound dig out there and exhibitions like the blue futures exhibitions will help with that then you know the knowledge of it and just simple things like in a library like this talking to volunteers, getting them enthused about it, and then they will say to, say, young people interested in history or interested in the coastline, environmentalism, and so on, they will say, oh, have you seen, have you listened to Soundig? You might really like that. So I, I feel very happy that we've recorded so much. There's more to do, and making it accessible to everyone is important. Many people in this area to not regularly use computers or phones to access things like this. They might use computers for very functional things and phones obviously for functional things, but I think we need to promote the, the website more uh, in different ways to people so that they, they use it and explore it.
4: It's interesting that you're talking now about getting young people involved and, and what their kind of take on this whole sort of idea of what sound and their local community is concerned. See what they make of it, because it, I suppose it has been older people, people uh, you know, sixty and beyond, mainly who've been involved so far, and they have their own perspective on things. But it, it'd be good to get another generation's perspective on 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 this whole thing about sound and the part it plays in their lives. You know,
2: we're just about to start, or we're just at the start of the workshops with young people thinking about sort of future sounds of Whitburn, and that's going to feed into the exhibition, which is running until from July until October and then yeah after that the website is still gonna exist and be online for a number of years and I guess we're gonna have to sort of get together and think about what we do next.